Well, good morning. Great to see you this morning. This is all duded up since I was here last. <laughs> Jamie told me this is like, I, this is like if it's going really bad, you just push this thing and you can just hide right behind it. <laughs> it just keeps going up and up and up. And so uh, give me a second to get oriented here. I've got a lot of notes. Uh, I, I am really glad to be with you. I had so many. It's kind of freaky, to be honest. So many of you ask how I'm feeling, um, which I totally understand. It's when I was, it was two years ago, almost to the day that I was here and uh, didn't get through the services. It was not the high point of my preaching career, but I ended up having open heart surgery after that. And uh, so I've been having a lot of physical problems, but I'm feeling great. I have lupus, which uh, is a disease that strikes primarily women 90% 90% of those who get it are age 30, 18 to 35-year-old women. So they told me that, and I said, I cannot wait for my first support group meeting. This is going to be <laughs> awesome. I'm going to be so good in this. So I, <laughs> anyway, I have ongoing stuff. I can't, I see Duff, and I can't look at Duff and not think golf. I haven't played golf. I can't play golf, but I can preach. Uh, at least as, as well as I think I can. So that's my favorite thing to do, and to be here with you is just a great privilege. Uh, I, I want to give you, Jamie kind of set it up, but this all, this series came about, uh, th- in my end, through a phone call that I got from Jamie last July. And we were in Flagstaff, uh, Sandy and I, and uh, Jamie called and said, I'm going to be out of the country December 13th. Can you preach that day? And I said, it'd be great, because I, I mean, I know, I got a calendar, it's Christmas. And I said to him, I've got this message I did 15 years ago that has a great premise to it. And I didn't do it very well, and I'd love to bring it out and dust it off. And he said, well, I hope you find a place to do that. It's not going to be at Scottsdale Bible Church, because uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do Mary, Jesus, and Joseph. And uh, over three weeks, and you're the middle week, okay? I'm going to do a week, you do a week, and then the final week. And, and which one do you want to do? Well, the obvious one is Jesus, but you got to close with that. So it's down to Mary and Joseph. And I said, well, I'll, I'll take Joseph. And my thinking was, everybody knows so much about Mary, and there's so much material that your expectations will be really high. But if I take Joseph, and if I can fill 40 minutes, you're going to go, how does he get so much out of the scripture? You know, that kind of thing. So anyway, I I said, I'll take Joseph. He said, all right, it's done. And all of a sudden I started, I went to my Bible, and I started uh, researching, that means Google, and, and, and I went, there's not much here. So Sandy and I were at dinner with a couple, and, and they said, we're just eating dinner, and they said, when are you at Scottsdale Bible Church again? I said, it's so interesting that you'd say that, December 13th. And they said, oh, wow. And I said, yeah, and I gave them that story I gave you. And, and all of us, here's what they said. They said, that's so good. There's so much about Joseph. There's this and this. And I didn't have anything to write down anything. And they did about five minutes. And I said, where are you going to be December 13th 
at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock because we could really use you. Uh, so I've been really, really working at this. Uh, I teach a study during the week, three of them, and I passed out a questionnaire. Let me show you the, the questions uh, on the screen. And I just, I passed them out. Here are the answers. Obviously, I'm not going to read you all of these. But here are the, some of the answers uh, that I got when I passed these things out. And I said to them, at least these, I think this is it. Uh, and I said to them, you know, what, what comes to mind when you think about Joseph? What questions do you have about Joseph? Uh, and, and I got some great answers. What phrases come to mind? And, and so I got, this was a dominant question. What happened to Joseph? Where did he go? The Bible is some, somewhat silent. How come? Now, you think I got the answer to that? Because God wanted it silent, I guess. Must have had a convincing conversation with the angels. Wow, I'm not sure too many of us would have remained loyal to, to Mary. So there's a bunch of stuff on obedience. Here you go. <laughs> what do you think about when you think about Joseph? St. Joseph Aspirin. <laughs> there's always a U of A guy in the room, okay? <laughs> this guy's probably an elder at Scottsdale Bible Church. Here's what it says. St. <laughs> Joseph Aspirin, what time frame did he live in? I don't know. What happened to him? Humility. Here's another, St. Joseph Aspirin. I'm, I don't know what goes to this group. I, I've heard the story so many times it makes sense, but he has no reference point for all of this. What happened to him? When did he die? How could he uh, avoid being vindicated to his brothers and Potiphar? Okay, I will change there. That's not a U of A graduate. That's a PhD candidate down there. What, 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 how did he raise the other kids? How did he handle Jesus? So I got all sorts of these questions, and, and it was really helpful. I, uh, Jamie mentioned, or I mentioned, uh, that I did some research, meaning, again, Google, and I got some just great things, and I, and I, and I text them to, to Jamie, and, and, I, and he, read, I read, he read the text last week uh, that, that Joseph uh, was a Freemason, and uh, an avid golfer, and read Shakespeare, and, and so I'm a little leery. This is one of my new favorite quotes. The trouble with quotes of the internet is that you can never know if they're genuine. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> so I think. I know. Isn't that great? But, but I need the internet for this lesson. I uh, live streamed Jamie last week. Um, just to, to see what he would do with his section. And, and I thought what I would do is follow his lead. He asked two questions, so I changed them slightly. The first one is this, as I'm putting this together. What can we learn from, or what can we learn about Joseph? And secondly, and we're always asking this, I think, what can we learn about God? 
So, so what I want to do, and I'm going to attempt this, and, 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 and I, th I, think I, I think it'll work, is to tell you the story. Now, having said that, I'm going to leave some chunks out of it, but the Christmas story. And, and along the way, stop and just add application. So what? So kind of my basic rule as I try to teach is, what does it say? Is it true? So what? Now what? So I want to do a little bit of that. And then uh, at the end, I've summarized it with five, like five lessons from Joseph. And uh, the five may be six, because I came across something yesterday. When, when you go to the scripture, and if you have Bibles, uh, you ought to grab them. And uh, then uh, if you can do that, and then just follow the outline in the bulletin. I thought the outline was impressive. Uh, between the two of those, you can't go wrong here. Um, we're going to be in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. And you would expect that. In all of Paul's letters, he does not mention Joseph or anything about Joseph that I'm aware of, at least not anything that's going to get mentioned today. Uh, Mark doesn't mention uh, this section of the birth of Christ. But Matthew and Luke are the primary uh, informers that we have. One commentator writes this, Luke's simple, straightforward, unblemished language describes the most profound birth with the most far-reaching implications in the history of the world. While his birth was like that of every other child, the child wasn't like any child ever born. Matthew, one of the... Uh, one of the commentators tells us, Matthew's account of Jesus' divine conception is straightforward and simple. So, so we look at this, and, and I can't resist trying to bring the humanity of it into the story. And, and there's no question, in some cases, it's speculation. But here's Jesus, this, this, this son of, of Mary and Joseph, and they got to be like parents. You're standing up here today, and you're doing a baby dedication. And you've got Isaac and Savannah and Cassidy and Roman. Roman, whose birthday was June 13th, the same as my dad. And Knox and Benjamin. And you've got the proud parents. And you've got all the family. You've just got human nature, you know, into this story and so we can kind of bring that into it, but at the same time, we need to be careful, I think, not to read too much into this. So that's the task ahead of us. We have 32 minutes and 53 seconds left to do it. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taking of all the inhabitants of the world. And then he gives us a little more detail. Verse 4, Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he is the house and the family of David. A census was ordered. They would take a census. It would be extensive, probably, literally, worldwide, for two purposes primarily, taxation 
and to identify people for military service. Joseph and Mary are in Nazareth, and they need to go to Bethlehem. That's a trip of about 80 miles. And if my Google map is correct, it's about the same distance as from here to Gila Bend. Why do I say that? Because that's where I'm going to be at 2.45 today on my way to Coronado for a week. So the only thing standing between me and Coronado is this. All right? So <laughs> cooperate. Be encouraging. Now, when I read this account, when I hear that word that in those days a decree went forth, I immediately think of, of my being raised, Catholic grade school, high school. I went to holy, doesn't this fit for this uh, session, holy family grade school. I went to Assumption High School. Jamie talked about that last night. Or not last, well, he might have talked about it last night, but I know he talked about it last week. I, I went to those places. I hear these phrases. That's how church started. That was Christmas Eve. Cold, about like today. Cold, and you'd come in, and, and everybody would be packed at that church, and you'd have those coats on, and they'd read that. And that would start for me all of these memories of Christmas carols. You have them, right? Silent Night. That was a song that always made me think of my grandma. We went one time to her house for Christmas. And, and Silent Night was a song that we sang around the tree the night before, the time before we went to bed. And it's the story. It's the story of the birth of Jesus. The census goes forth. Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth. We, we know that Mary is pregnant. All sorts of speculation uh, about Mary and why did Mary go on that trip and why did Joseph have to go. And all, all that I've read said it was mandatory for Joseph to go and register. And then the rest is speculation. In Syria, part of that would be Palestine. In Syria, it's believed that most of the women over age 12 had to go and register as well. It may be that Mary simply didn't want to be alone in Nazareth at a time like this. You can read into it, whatever you want, but you get the setting, right? Now flip over to Matthew's gospel. We'll pick up the story there and start to really fill in some of the blanks. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Now, for many of us, we're super familiar with these words in this story. But if you can imagine walking in here today and not having that background, you're going, wow, there's kind of some key words here. Mary and Jesus, or Mary and Joseph are betrothed, engaged. And, and, and before they've come together physically, Mary's pregnant. 
The language gets a little awkward here because it says they're betrothed, but then it said, but, but Joseph is her husband. He's a righteous man. And he desires to divorce her. We need backdrop here. And at the end age, an engagement very different than now. Now, I'm, I'll, I'll meet young gals all the time, and they say, oh, I'm going to get engaged, I'm going to get engaged. Oh, that's so exciting. And then they, they get a ring, and they go, oh, I'm going to get married. And I said, what date? They said, well, we don't have a date. And I said, you ought to get one of those. Because <laughs> like, I can give you a ring, and I can say there's going to be a date. And, it, and it's, it's got some power to it, but nothing like in that day. The betrothal and the marriage were very, very similar. It was a formal contract that was drawn up between these two, typically arranged by their parents, with payment going from the, the groom or the groom's family to the bride to cover either the expense of the wedding or to be set aside in case the groom ultimately divorces the bride. As a father of two daughters, that seems like a really good idea. That seems like one of those traditions we should have kept. But Joseph, all of a sudden, discovers that Mary is pregnant. And he's torn here. He's a righteous man. And on the righteous side, he, he would know, because he has not been with her, he, he would know that something was wrong. And on that righteous side, there's this, this thing that says, I'm going to put her away. I'm going to divorce her. This will be the end of this. But he also seems to be this kind, gentle guy. He's torn in two, in, 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 in two directions. Mary is pregnant and Joseph finds out, but we don't know how that happened. We assume he, she told him, but we, we don't know. I can't imagine the conversation, but if I think about it, I can put it together. I can see one of those rare moments when they'd be alone, and Joseph comes in, and he's all excited, and he says, Mary, you don't look so excited. Aren't you excited about this? Don't you think this could be spectacular? We're going to be married? What, what, what is, wow, do you think God will bless us with a baby? Oh, uh, Yeah. What do we call him? Oh, we're going to call him Mort. What are we going to call him? I think all that's going to work itself out, Joseph. Here's the problem. I'm pregnant. Now, you don't need to have any great imagination to put yourself into that setting and scene. Jesus is the promised child. You and I got all that, but this is unfolding around them. Joseph begins to process this. He goes away. I, I don't have a slide for this, but I wanted to go back and make sure we got this. Just keep reading. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. When he considered this, behold, an angel appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child that's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she'll bear a son, and you'll call him Jesus. Why? He'll save his people from their sin. And all this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and she'll bear a son, and you call him Emmanuel. God is with us. Mary tells Joseph, 
where Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. Joseph's immediate reaction was to say, I'm going to end this relationship. He's decided to put her away, but he goes home, and in a dream, the angel appears to him. And the angel says, don't do this. I have no idea what this means, but I thought it was significant. The angel appeared to Mary and says, this is what's going to happen to you. The angel appears to Joseph and says, this is what happened to Mary. In either case, we see something. Here's a trait that we see in Joseph. First thing for you to note, he is obedient. The angel appears and says, don't be afraid. Mary's pregnant. This is going to be a stretch of comprehension for you. It's by the Holy Spirit. You're going to have a son, you're going to name him Jesus, and, and it's going to, you're going to call him Emmanuel, God is with us. And Joseph woke up, and I highlighted this, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. This becomes a characteristic that we see all through Joseph's life. Joseph becomes this extraordinary man of obedience. Now, tucked in there is the name Jesus. He'll save his people from their sin. And everything in me wants to run over and take care of that, address that. Jamie's going to talk about it next week. We want to stay on Joseph. Joseph did as the angel commanded. He took Mary. And it says in verse 25, he kept her as a virgin until she gave birth. Jamie talked about it last week. There's a teaching within the Catholic Church that Mary was forever a virgin. But we know from Scripture that, that Mary, uh, Jesus has at least, what is it, three or four brothers and sisters. So, so the perpetual virginity of Mary, we can really deal with it in this verse. It seems to me that would be kind of a crummy role model for marriage. To have no physical contact. I said we were at Holy Family Church and Holy Family School. And we had an area, in my mind it was huge, but it probably was the size of this, this platform that we would gather in. And we had three statues. We had a, sto- a statue of Mary and Jesus and Joseph. And Mary was this beautiful, beautiful woman in kind of a North Carolina powder blue veil. And Jesus looked like a cool kid. But Joseph always had this frustrated look on his face. <laughs> And I didn't put that together until I got the full teaching of the church. Well, well, Joseph is an obedient guy. Look with me in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. What's happened is the shepherds have come, and they've been visited by an angel of the Lord, They've come and visited Jesus and Mary and Joseph. In in Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, they've been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod. The Magi have. The Magi are are warned, don't go back there. Herod's going to go on the rampage. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Now then they had gone, and an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up and take a child and his mother and flee to Europe, uh, to Europe, 
to e e Egypt. Literally, it means to escape from someone or something. I'm going to send you away. Herod is about to go on a rampage. Egypt would be a logical place to go. Again, a trip of about 70 or 80 miles. There were, as close as we can tell from historians, about a million Jews in Egypt at the time. One commentator said, no question that uh, Joseph would find family and friends and relatives there. So the angel appears. Joseph doesn't have a lot of backdrop. Look at verse, what is it? Verse 14, 15. Verse 14, Joseph got up and took the child. There it is again, obedience. I found this, a bunch of interesting things. This has nothing to do with the lesson. But I, but I thought it was interesting. John MacArthur speculates that Joseph would have used the frankincense, gold, and myrrh to finance the trip to Egypt. I don't, that didn't mean, I don't know what that means. Probably nothing, but I thought it was interesting. He goes to Egypt, and, and Herod then realizes he's been betrayed by the Magi, orders the slaughter of males two years and under. They're in Egypt, we think, no more than a few months. And then an angel appears to them. Verse 19, when Herod died, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up and take his child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. Verse 21, there it is again. So Joseph got up. Joseph moved. What can I learn from Joseph? I can learn from Joseph obedience. I've had this yearning lately to go to a, kind of an old-time service where we sang these old songs that we used to. I used to go to Grace Community Church, and on Sunday night, Jim Rents was the pastor, and he'd get up, and they'd have a hymnal, and they'd shout out numbers, 273, and then we'd sing whatever they were. And one of them that they sang all the time was, trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than trust and obey. Boy, Joseph becomes a role model for that. Here's the second thing you can learn. In, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, Joseph is being given all of this information, and he's told Mary's going to have a, a, a son, and you'll name him Jesus. Verse 22, all this took place to... See the word highlighted? Fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Chapter 2, verse 15. The story continues, and, and here's what he He remained there until the death of Herod. He's in Egypt. And this was to fulfill what the prophet had spoken. Matthew chapter 2, verse 17. And when all this was spoken through Jeremiah, it was fulfilled. Matthew 2.23, and they came and they lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Simple sentence, the basic truths and happenings in the New Testament are the culmination and completion and fulfillment of the revelation that God has made in the Old Testament. God is in control. 
It'd be so easy to, to look at this story and the life of Christ, the crucifixion, the death, but let's fast forward into this room and into your life and say, there's times when it feels like it's out of control. Isn't that what the news feels like every day? Uh, my wife gets up every morning at 4.45 and, and she swims. Yeah, and it's so funny because we'll be with people and they'll go, well, I swim too. And I said, I got a feeling it's different. She'll swim two or three miles every day, and then she'll come home, and she goes to a boot camp, and on certain days, then in the afternoon, she'll run. Well, she gets up at 4.45, so I get up at 4.45, and I go out, and I put on my K-cup, I get my K-cup, and I turn on the news, and I start watching the news, and by 5.15... I'm ready to build a bunker, buy five years worth of food, and crawl in it. Isn't that how it feels every day? And we're in this world, and it feels like things are careening out of control. They're not careening out of God's control. They're out of your control, my control. I just watched an interview this morning. Is the Fed going to increase the interest rates this week or not? I don't know. They're not asking me. They don't care about me. You can look at things. You can look at Herod's slaughter of these babies. You can look at the world around you. But over thousands of years, God has been giving us this story. We've talked about it, I think, in here before. In my Bible, and I do this now literally, page one and two, God creates. Page three is the fall. The rest of this is him fixing it. It's him in control. He knew at the very beginning. He knows in your life. Let me make the next point quickly. Joseph was a spiritual leader. I'm not going to fill in a bunch of the blanks here, but you can see it in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. When the eight days had passed, Jesus was circumcised. Luke chapter 2, verse 39, when they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to Nazareth. We, we see this concept. In fact, and probably the story that, that really is the very end of our understanding of Joseph is when they go to Jerusalem. Then they go to Jerusalem for the Passover. My point in all this is that Jesus at age, at age eight days didn't say it's time to get circumcised. Joseph was the spiritual leader of the house. That's what we saw here. This is a great lead into the baby dedication. That baby dedication was really well done. And we're dedicating the babies. But what we really do is calling a blessing and responsibility on the parents. And I love the idea that we're going to have you as the family stand and say, you join in this too. If, if you want to get a lesson from Joseph, the lesson from Joseph is he was a spiritual man, a spiritual leader. Now, for all practical purposes, that's it with Joseph. The last time we see him is when Jesus is 12. They've gone into Jerusalem. Remember the story? They've, they, lost, they leave Jerusalem, they're going back home, and they've lost the Christ child. That's a problem. 
Mary thought Joseph had him. Joseph thought Mary had him. They go back. They can't find him. They find him, and that's it. We don't hear about Joseph again. We don't hear about Jesus again. From age 20 to, or from age 12 to 30, we don't learn. I don't know what he's doing. I'm pretty sure he's not in his folks' basement playing video games, waiting for his mom to do the laundry, though. But I digress. He's growing, he's maturing, he's developing. Let, let me give you the lessons from Joseph. And, and before we get to the first one, here's the one that I came up with yesterday. Joseph's life is, as far as we can tell, extraordinarily ordinary. Here's what I need to do, you need to do. Master the mundane. I love sports. I'm an Iowa guy, and uh, man, this is the year to be that. I mean, it's been a terrific year. I would love, I would love, I dream. I still have four years of eligibility left. I dream <laughs> that they would call me. I would love to run out of that tunnel. But you know what I don't want to do? I don't want the two-a-days. I don't want the trading. I'm a game day kind of guy. Aren't you? You're a mountaintop kind of guy. It'd be, I'm, I'm projecting. It'd be like being in, in the performance. I guarantee you, getting up here and doing this today twice, this is a kick. This is a rush. This is thrilling. And to see your response. But all the rehearsal, all the practice... I love closing the deal, but I didn't like the cold calling. Number one, life lesson from Joseph, master the mundane. Number two, God does not spare us from awkward, painful, even embarrassing moments. Mary and Joseph are God's guys, uh, but doing life God's way. And yet there has to be, you would think, human nature... The embarrassment of this child that's coming, even, even, even at best, they're going, Mary, think of Mary going to her dad. Dad, I'm pregnant. Who is it? I never liked that Isaac guy. I was always suspicious of him. God allows or causes hugely painful moments in our life. You might be in the midst of them right now. There was a book that was very popular 27 years ago called Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Well, in our world, we might change the title to Why Do Bad Things Happen to Christians? And the undercurrent of that is somehow they shouldn't. I'm God's person. I, uh, God saved me in 1980. And I was, whatever that is, 31 years old. And I had 31 years of a lot of junk. I had broken relationships. Uh, I had everything you can imagine. All of a sudden now, I come to Christ in repentance and faith, and now I start to live life, and I'm walking with him, and things begin to happen. I have a daughter that gets in a serious car wreck, my wife has cancer and passes away. I got all this stuff. 
There's something inside that says, God, why are you allowing that? To, why didn't you get me then? Why are you doing this now? And I'll tell you why. For my good and his glory. And he's in control. Here's the second thing. Obedience is the clear path in a foggy situation. You might be here today and not totally convinced or, or certain what God's doing in your life or what he'd have you do. Well, what does God say about it? Well, I love reading this passage because there seems to be an immediacy to that. The angel appeared to Joseph, bam, he goes. The angel appears, bam, he goes. I got a call not too long ago from a guy and uh, he said, I'd like to meet, and I need some advice. I said, all right. So we met, and uh, I said, what is it? And he said, I believe God has called me to move. Let's pick a city, Bemidji. Okay, God's called me to move to Bemidji. I know the answer is no to that already, but just in case. I'm convinced God's called me to move to Chicago. What do you think? And I said to him, what difference does it make what I think? If God's called you, go, right? If God says in this word, do it, do it. If he says, don't do it, don't do it. Obedience is always the clear path. Here's the third thing, and it came up on all those questionnaires. Joseph loved Mary. Interesting, that thing, love. Sandy and I were having dinner not too long ago. And uh, I said to her, I love you. And she said, why? <laughs> oh, buddy, this isn't a discussion question. I, I just, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Why? Can I go to Walgreens and get a card and I'll tell you? I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know. Well, so, I, okay, I'm going to hang in there. So I said, well, cause the obvious one is you go, well, you're really pretty. And, but I, but I, that was what first came to mind, but I didn't say that. I said, well, you're really smart. You love Jesus. You, you, you're incredible in a relationship. Well, if I wasn't smart, would you love me? <laughs> well, if you weren't smart, we wouldn't be here, would be part of that. I don't know. I don't want to know. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says this, you know it. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, it doesn't brag, it's not arrogant, not act unbecomingly doesn't seek its own, not provoked, doesn't take into account a, a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. Now, I'm reading from the New American Standard. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In your Bible, you could write Joseph right next to that. It bears all things. Let me just expand on it a little bit. It means to cover, to support, to protect. It's genuine love that doesn't gossip or listen to gossip 
When sin is certain, love tries to correct it, and whenever possible, to do it with the least possible hurt and harm to the guilty party. Love protects, and it's anxious to protect the sinner. Mary Joseph. He wants to put her away secretly. It believes all things. Love is not suspicious or cynical. When it throws a mantle over a wrong, it also believes in the best outcome for the one who's done wrong. Mary and Joseph. It hopes all things. Even when belief in a loved one's goodness or repentance is shattered, love still hopes. When it runs out of faith, it holds on to hope. As long as God's grace is operative, human failure is never fatal. It endures all things. The word that's translated endures is a, a term used for an army holding a vital position at all costs. Now listen to the summary sentence of these four. Love bears what otherwise is unbearable. It believes what is otherwise unbelievable. It hopes what is otherwise hopeless. It endures when anything less than love would give up. After love bears, it believes. After it believes, it hopes. After it hopes, it is endure. And there is no after for endurance, for endurance is the never-ending climax of love. Love, Joseph loved Mary. You see it in the way he protected her. This is from the message. It's a paraphrase of what we just read. Love never gives up. It never cares more for others, or I'm sorry, it cares more for others than itself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, doesn't revel when others grovel. It, it, it takes pleasure in following the truth. It puts up with anything. Trust God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, keeps going to the end. Joseph loved Mary. Two more points, and out the door you go. Parents, especially men, you need to take responsibility for the spiritual leadership of your family. As I said, God saved me in 1980. And during that time, there was so much focus on the family. Not just the radio show and Dr. Dobson's ministry, but we talked about family and family. When I was recovering from the, the heart surgery, I, I was in bed a lot. And I went back and I found a bunch of old Howard Hendricks sermons. And it launched me into this website with literally thousands of sermons. And if you went back in kind of the 70s and the 80s, I would say the majority of these sermons were about family. Now, I don't know anything here because I'm not up here. So Jamie may talk about it frequently. I don't know. In general, I notice the church is becoming quieter and quieter as it relates to the family. I don't know if that's a confusion because the family's confused. I don't know. Here's what I know. Boys, couldn't be better than the dedication. You're responsible for the spiritual well-being of your kids. And you do it by speaking the truth and living the truth in front of them. I uh, used to pastor for almost 25 years. And I would get parents that would say to me, my, my, my teenagers don't want to come to church anymore. What should I do? 
Really? They, they don't want to go to math class either. What do you do? They want to eat donuts all day. What do you do? You're the leader. Joseph was the leader. I'm going to guess Jesus was a fairly compliant child. But you're the responsibility for leading the family. And here's the last thing. God's ways are higher and better than our ways. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. God's ways are higher than our ways. His ways are true. So there you go. There's Joseph. Totally practical. Great role model. You can come back again and again. Let me tee up next week a little bit if I can. Because we can talk about Mary and Joseph. Even Christmas. I get a little nervous around Christmas. Because I don't want too much Christmas without Easter. My daughter, when she was 12, gave me a copy of something she'd read. It's been part of my Christmas time every year since. Let, let me put it up here. We'll read it and then we'll, we'll let you get out of here. Here's a side of the Christmas story that isn't often told. Those soft little hands fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb were made so that nails could be driven through them. Those babies' feet, pink and unable to walk, would one day walk up a dusty hill to be nailed to a cross. That sweet infant's head with sparkling eyes and an eager mouth was formed so that someday men might force a crown of thorns onto it. That tender body, warm and soft, wrapped in swaddling clothes, would one day be ripped open by a spear. Jesus was born to die. Maybe you're one of those people that Jamie addressed at the beginning. You're here as a visitor. This whole thing is new to you. Or maybe you've been around church and, and now you're kind of coming back to it with maybe a fresh a, a set of eyes and an inquiring mind. There are people here who would love to talk to you about truly what happened at Christmas and what happened at Easter. Will you reach out to them? Ask them in the visiting booth. See the people that are around that have little prayer lanyards. They'd love to meet with you. I hope from Sandy and me, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Hope you have a great time. Hope you have a great time with family and, and you approach it with realistic expectations. And let me pray for you and we'll let you uh, leave the building here today. Father, thank you for this, for, for Joseph. There's so much there and, and, and my fear even is in, in going through the story. We, we miss the humanity of it or we miss the lessons. Joseph is an ordinary guy like us. God, we are called to be obedient. We're reminded you're in control. We know we're to be the spiritual leaders of families. Father, thank you for Jamie and the staff, the elders, the leaders, the team, the people here at Scottsdale Bible Church, that they're committed to the Christmas story, the Easter story, telling it all year long. God, so we can be your people, so that when these doors open, we go out into the world to be salt and light, not on our own, but with your power. Father, do that work in our life. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.